Hey there, Pounders. This is J.R. Wilco with today's Unnecessary Foolishness. It's episode 48 of the Superfluous Poppycock Podcast. I've got Leo Clark here with me again, and we're going to be discussing none other than Lonnie Walker. Got a little talk that we're going to make about Jonte Murray and Derek White, kind of round out the the three youngsters who are playing for the Spurs right now, but basically it's going to be Lonnie Walker. How are you doing today, Leo? I'm doing well, man. I appreciate you having me again, JR. You bet. Thanks for being here. So Lonnie against the Houston Rockets, 28 points. He was plus 29. Come on. Had that incredible 8-0 run to help tie the game. Played all the way through both overtime periods. Let me hear your thoughts about about the fourth playing against the against the Rockets in that awesome double overtime comeback win. Well, I love comebacks. That's <laughs> the one thing about the <laughs> NBA. Um, a game is never over until it's over. Um, mm. Yeah, just seeing Lonnie Walker, the way he played in the fourth quarter and both overtimes, you can definitely see he had a lot more confidence than he normally has. I mean, I mean, I know that helps when you're knocking down shots. Uh, consistency definitely builds confidence, um, and he definitely played with a lot of confidence. But there was also some things that he was doing on defense. Um, even though James Harden is known for drawing fouls, for the most part, I feel like Lonnie Walker, um, you know, really guided him into some good help defense, which kind of frustrated James Harden a little bit. Um, and you can see, you can kind of see things got a little chippy during that game. A little bit, a little bit. Of course, Houston had uh, very legitimate reasons for, for beefs. Obviously they protested that game afterwards because of the dunk by Harden that wasn't counted inexplicably wasn't counted. Somehow Scott New Jersey can chime in and turn a three into a two, but can't say, Oh yeah, the basket was good. exactly i mean refs really can't go back and look at that film and say hey i made a mistake um sometimes that cracks me up about refs like they they literally have the technology to go back and look just look if you messed up you messed up right that was clearly a bucket um not a rockets fan but at the same time (laughs) it was a bucket you don't have to be a rockets fan to go that was a bad shake right there that they got absolutely all right, so you saw Lonnie playing with confidence. You, you saw that he was obviously he wasn't fouling, and that is something that, that Harden is so good at getting players to do. Obviously, got got uh, Dejounte Murray to foul him, got uh, Demar Derozan to foul him, but Lonnie played so disciplined and guided him into some help defense. What else did you see? Hard. I mean, but at the <laughs> same time, man, that kid is flat out athletic. <laughs> no if, doubt. If, the Spurs cannot find a way to get that kid on the court, then I would really start questioning their development team. Um, mm. Because when you got somebody that's that athletic and and you have time to really work with them, and the fact that he shot it that well from two mm-hmm. and three, you got to find a way to get him on the court. And so that's that is definitely, to me, a coaching thing building the player's confidence and I'm hoping is they can ride this wave with him that this this parlays into so much more because the kid has a bright future um there's no question about it but his effort 
when he started getting things going. I mean, from crashing the boards, a couple steals, fast break, that one fast break he got where mm-hmm. I thought he was jumping to the moon. Um, <laughs> uh, definitely was in, in, impressed with his intensity level on both both ends of the court. So now across the years of, of watching Pop bring new guys along, first year is usually – you're going to sit over there and watch the second year. You get to stand on the court a little bit while everybody else does their thing for a little while. And then you're going to sit on the bench and watch. It almost seems like there's this, there's this old, there's this old thing with the uh, major league baseball pitchers where they're afraid to bring them on too too soon. Cause, Cause they'll get shelled and then it gets in their head and then they're never the same. And I, I I feel like that's the way Pop brings along these young guys sometimes, wants to make sure he puts them in a position to succeed, wants to make sure they don't practice bad habits on the court. He, they fix them off the court before they get in. Did Do you see anything like that at any any other level besides, besides with the Spurs? Because it seems like a, a bunch of other teams are happy to throw their rookies right out there but we know that San Antonio is not any particular NBA franchise, right? They've got a way that they want to do things. What do you think? And, and a lot of that comes with even how the Spurs bring, how they bring in players, mm-hmm. right? So we know they had a wave of players, you know, coming from different countries, whether it's Tony Parker from France, Manu Ginobili, et cetera. So they had a lot of players that had a lot of pro experience. Mm-hmm. So when they bring them into the fold, I mean, you look at Tim Duncan, he played, what, three years at Wake Forest, if I'm not correct? Yeah. Um, and they had, they, had, they had a lot of court time. So well, he now finished, a lot of these had, yeah, are, Tim, I'm sorry, Tim Duncan finished his career at Wake Forest. Ah, so he finished all four years. See, I stand corrected. I appreciate you catching me on that. No worries. Um, so he came in ready, ready to play. Yeah. Um, as in Tony Parker, Tony Parker is really young, but he had, he had played, um, at pro a level in France, which yeah. was, it was a pretty solid league. Um, so with that, that, I mean, that being said with Lonnie Walker and, and I think it's, it's such a different time. You know, I, when I say that in basketball is players play a lot of basketball, but they're not playing a lot of fundamental basketball. So mm. you get guys that are athletic and can run and jump and flat out just, I mean, I, I definitely think we're in a time where players are more athletic from top to bottom, sure. but as far as understanding the game, I feel like that's lacking a lot in today's game. Um, hence you get these guys getting a game and they don't play with a certain level of confidence and understand different levels of pace, when to slow down, when to speed it up. Um, how to, you know, how to get, you know, get some movement going away from the ball, understanding when somebody turns their head, there's so many different things that are involved in the game that players are learning later on when they should already have it. And that comes from coaching at, you know, the college level comes from coaching at the, the AAU level, mm-hmm. um, et cetera. And, and that's why you see guys like Lonnie Walker or DeJounte Murray, um, they just lack the basketball I hate, for lack of a better word, basketball IQ. And so it's it's important for them to become students of the game. Right. So how do you see from Walker's play, especially in that Houston game, where do you see him showing that he's been brought along, that he is being schooled in the game like that? What, what 
what plays or what aspects of his game show that that's happening? Well, it's it's interesting. It's, it's in this particular game, I saw it more defensively. Okay. Um, in the way he's playing team defense as opposed to individual defense. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're guarding a guy and you know how hardened how he likes to drive, how he's looking for the contact, right? So a lot of guys will sit on on whether they're sitting on Harden's right side, they really shade Harden one way or the other. Right. Whether they're shading them right or whether they're shading them left. Very few people play Harden straight up all the time because he has the ability to get you shifting in one direction. And once he gets you shifted in one direction, he literally um, can get you um, off balance and draw fouls. But Harden, when you play him and force him to just one side, you're literally trying to say, hey, you're only going to play one side of the court. You may score, but you're only going to play one side of the court. So mm-hmm. he's starting to understand those things in the way he's playing defense. And also when he's off the ball, you know, he's playing in what is called that split position, which San Antonio Spurs play a lot where they kind of you see a Lots guy driving. They have a, a defender kind of sitting in the in the middle in the gap. And they're, they want you to pass, they're kind of forcing that pass, and then they're running out, running shooters off the three-point line. So I, I see it more on the defensive end. On the offensive end, it was it was almost a product of, unfortunately, the way the San Antonio Spurs, I mean, way actually correct, saying corrected, the way the Houston Rockets mm-hmm. don't play defense. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's a question that I wanted to ask you. So how much of those 28 points – how much of that performance definitely want to get excited about it. Definitely enjoy seeing him out there on the court because he'd spent all season long so far breaking into the rotation. How much of that 28 was him? I mean, you can't ever take the defense out, but how much of it was just really bad defense by Houston? Well, and it it was bad defense, right? I think the Spurs, if I'm not mistaken, are um, their defense, what ranks like the worst is second or the worst in the NBA. Like, we're not we're, we're not throwing stones here. I'm just talking about this one half. Yeah. Game. But so no, it, it, when I look at this, he had so many open looks, but at the same time, you got to knock down those open looks. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of players that get open looks and they can't knock it down. So you can tell he's been working on his game. I mean, he doesn't have a bad stroke. His shooting mm-hmm. stroke is not bad at all. So if you know he can knock down these shots, this is something they can build upon. Um, so if the Rockets are kind of like that that launching pad for him to, <laughs> to kind of grow into a bigger role, then great. Because, I mean, Marco Bellinelli, I hate to throw him under the bus, but he hasn't been doing much all season. And I would like to see Lonnie Walker get those minutes because I, he has a much larger upside. No doubt. No doubt. So here, I want to go back. You you played, right? You played in AIA. You played in, in Europe a little bit as well. T- tell me what it's like when you were so wide open that by the time the ball hits your hands and you look up and you're like, oh man, I got to make this one. How much more difficult is it to hit a wide open shot? Or did that not even bother you at all? Well, <laughs> I mean, when I played, I was a confident shooter. So I've spent time putting hours in the gym working on my shot. So mm-hmm. I didn't get left open um, <laughs> a lot, especially in my college career and, and playing overseas. Um, so <laughs> that being that being said, it is it's almost like a, a, a sign of disrespect when you're left wide open. It's like the mm-hmm. other team 
in the scouting report, it's like, well, we're going to stop these other guys from scoring. We're going to force him to beat us. Mm-hmm. So when you start hitting shots like Lonnie Walker did, yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know how many teams are going to leave him wide open like that because now they know he can knock down an open shot. But as a as a, a shooter, which Lonnie Walker, he can score. Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw him play a couple of times in the G League in the Austin area, and I saw the fact that he has the ability to score. Now it's transitioning that to the NBA level because there's a difference in intensity. There's a Uh difference in pressure. There's a difference in arenas um, in the depth perception in bigger arenas, et cetera. So there's a definitely adjustments, but this is, has an opportunity to be a a tremendous launching pad for him. It's whether or not he's going to take that next leap. I mean, we look at a lot of, I don't know if you remember, and I'm going to throw a name out there. You look at him play now and you're like, Jimmy Butler is a consistent all-star. But remember when Jimmy Butler and Chicago Bulls was not starting? But Jimmy Mm -hmm. Butler was so – he was one of those guys that believed in himself and had a chip on his shoulder, like, I deserve to be a starter. And next thing you know, you woke up and you're like, man, how long is Jimmy – Jimmy, well, you know, how long has he been starting now? I mean, Mm -hmm. you don't even – like Jimmy Butler, like you look at it now, you're like, man, Jimmy Butler is hard to stop. He plays both ends of the court, et cetera. I look at Alani Walker that has that type of potential, but it's really going to be up to him. And it's how much he wants to like, you know what, I have what it takes. I'm going to show everybody on the court that I have what it takes, but I'm going to play both ends. Yeah, he definitely plays both ends. And they talked with him because uh, Pop doesn't talk to the press very uh, blatantly about players he's unhappy with. But he said some uncomplimentary things about Lonnie earlier in the season, said he didn't compete. And, and honestly, when he's when, when Marco Bellinelli is still getting minutes and <laughs> when he's letting guys run past him, and you've got not just not just Marco either, but you've got guys not exactly sprinting back in transition defense. We had a post on Pounding the Rock, uh, posted on Tuesday. There's a staff roundtable specifically about uh, the fast breaks and getting back on defense. When you've got a number of players that are guilty in that way, and he's calling out Lonnie, seems like yeah. he's he's a, he's got like not necessarily a double standard, but he's looking specifically for something from him. So from Lonnie to be able to perform at that level after that, you know, was was something. And he was talked uh, after that Rockets game, and Lonnie definitely called that out and said, uh, I think uh, Bill Land after the game on uh, on Fox Sports Southwest, he was saying, you know, Pop gave you a little tough love there. And Lonnie said, there's no such thing. Yeah. Right. Like there's no such thing as tough love. It's just love. Right. And he says, I take that, I hear it and I use it to make myself better. And, and go ahead. No. And there's a, there's a saying in sports, right? If a coach is not getting on you or he's not talking about you, he's already basically said, this kid is not, he doesn't have what it takes or he's not coachable. Um, yeah. And you run into a lot of players you can see with tremendous potential and you're pushed them and you pushed them because you want to pull it out of them. If you're, if you push a player and you really challenge them and like, Hey, listen, I know you have what it takes, but you need to show me something. And they never give you anything. There comes a point where a coach will start to tune that kid out because mm. the kid doesn't want, he doesn't want it. But Lonnie Walker is responding to that. So pop is no dummy. He knows the athlete 
he has in Lonnie Walker. There's, I don't think there's anybody on that roster, even DeJounte Murray, from a af- pure athletic standpoint, build and everything, mm-hmm. that is like Lonnie Walker on that roster. Rudy Gay when he was younger, but oh, I'm yeah. talking about right now. DeMar DeRozan when he was younger, but DeMar DeRozan was never the defender that Lonnie Walker has the potential to be. Mm-hmm. And so you can make the you can make the case that Lonnie's already at a higher level than where Demar's ever been, just in his ability to anticipate and stay with his man and play that team D. Yes, and and that's the thing that Pop probably saw when he was you know looking at him and scouting. Pop mm-hmm. probably already saw that. Now the things that now Pop is doing now is trying to push those buttons. What is it going to take for me to get this kid to rise to the level that I know he can get to? Once that happens, you know, it's once again, it's one of those things where Pop finds a diamond in the rough. It's nobody saw it in Kawhi. Nobody saw this, you know, that stuff in Tony Parker. Nobody saw that stuff in managing only, but Pop saw something. And Lonnie Walker, I'm not saying he's going to be a Hall of Famer like a Manu Ginobili or Tony Parker. I'm not saying that by no means. I want to get ahead of ourselves. One one explosive game. But I know Pop is starting. He has to do something. If you look at the, the record right now, he he needs a spark. And he needs somebody to rise up to that occasion and kind of like, hey, I'm going to take over and I'm going to start being that spark every single game. And he needs to be consistent with this. Yeah, you you definitely see the potential that's there with Walker. You definitely see the flash. And then after a game like that for him to get like 11 or 12 minutes like he did against against the Kings, what do you think about that? You've had conversations with coaches. You've been around basketball at, at so many different levels. I'm not going to ask you to tell me what Pop's thinking, but what kinds of conversations, what kind of things do coaches say they kind of explain some of this, maybe a little counterintuitive from what we're seeing uh, with the minutes and the, and the way that the rotations are working. And a lot of times rotation falls on matchups. Mm-hmm. It's, how does this person play against this type of system? Would a system expose them more? Um, you know, does this team run a lot of pick and rolls? Is this person a good pick and roll defender? Does this team run a lot of off the ball action? Does this person get lost staring at the ball? So coaches know because they look at tons and tons of film. So it's trying to find a way to put them in a position to succeed. So that's that's why this game was an example of that. If you look at like a you know a team like the Kings, you know, you're dealing with Luke Walton. Luke Walton runs a similar system to the Warriors. So there's there's a lot of movement off the ball as mm-hmm. opposed to, I mean, you see how many times Buddy Hill comes off of picks or, or different pin yeah. downs and et cetera. And then so you, then you look at Houston. Well, Houston, <laughs> we know they always struggle in the playoffs. And I don't want to get on a tangent about Houston, but they're an ISO ball team. And yeah. They focus on a lot of pick and roll action and a lot of their a lot of their offensive players stand around a lot. So it's easy to load up on them defensively. And I want to use that word. I don't none is easy during the regular season because you know James Harden and Russell Westbrook are gonna dribble, 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 dribble. It's like the Charles Barkley says on TNT every time that James Harden gets it. He dribbles, 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 dribbles. And I just I crack up every time I hear it because it's so true. So it's like your turn, my turn to dribble the clock out. So, but when you go against a team that has a lot of 
ball movement and a lot of player movement, then is Lonnie Walker ready for that? And these are the things where he has to learn that with practice time, which, you know, in the NBA, you don't get a ton of it, but you also have to get that in film time. Understood. Yeah. I think it's easy for fans to take a look at that sometimes and go, man, Lonnie played so great. Why didn't he get any minutes? But then the, then the thought that he's, like you said, putting him in a position to succeed, not wanting to get out there and, and have a bad experience after he had a good one and, and, and really come along in his full development for being able to defend that kind of system different from what he played last game. It's not always... It, it, a lot of times it's apples and oranges instead of the same thing. Like he played great last game. Why don't we see him this game? That's an excellent point. We're going to take a quick sponsor break. When we get back, I want to talk about DeJounte Murray and Derek White. All right. Thanks for sticking with us, Pounders. This is J.R. Wilco with this day's episode of Superfluous Poppycock Podcast. Got Leo Clark here with me again. Leo, talk to me about being in a situation like DeJounte Murray. He was starting at the beginning of the season, whether he was ready to start or not, coming coming off of his uh, lost season to the, to the ACL injury, and now he's moving to the bench and Derek White is coming in with the starters. Tell me about that kind of transition. What's What's it like as a player going through that? I mean, those situations are tough, right? It, it's you're going to find out what Dejounte Murray is made out of being demoted, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Me personally, at the beginning of the season, I I thought Derek White earned the starting point guard the way he played last year, the way he finished up last year. But at the same time, I'm not the coach, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason why he plays with a confidence, meaning that he's not afraid of moments. Mm-hmm. And if you watch the way he played, even during the Olympics, um, well, take that back. It wasn't the Olympics, but it was the playing with the national team, right. uh, team USA this past summer. That will tell you that Derek white, he, he, that he gets it. Yeah. And so he has a better overall understanding of the NBA game. than I think DeJounte Murray has now is DeJounte Murray more athletic does he have the potential to be a better player than Derek White? Derek White's not the fastest guy in the world. He's not the most athletic guy in the world. But at the same time, he's a very heady basketball player. And so I know you hear that. I've heard that term for years. He just understands. And I think that that gives them the best chance right now to succeed. Um, and then also in hoping – DeJounte Murray looks at it this way, gives him more time to develop because there's a lot you can learn from coming off the bench. You actually have an advantage if you use it the right way. That's why you look at some of these great scores in in the history of basketball. You go back to Vinny the Microwave Johnson, Mm. or you look at a Lou Williams. They get a chance to get a good bead on how the defense is playing, where the holes are in the defense, where they can come in and make an impact. It kind of should give him a leg up, and then he's going to play against second-string point guards a lot of the time where he has a greater advantage in playing with less pressure, and hopefully that will allow him to grow into the point guard he has the potential to be. Because coming back from an ACL, they usually say it takes a year, but mentally 
if you talk to most guys of torn ACL, usually takes a couple of years because yeah. you got to believe in that knee again. Like when you go to plant thinking that you're going to hurt that, that knee every time you jump, I remember tearing my MCL and I, and I, every time I drove to the basket, I remember, it's like, I was remembering that pain and mm. it took me a while to get past the thought of it being hurt again. It took me a while to kind of get back that confidence. So I'm just thinking that he lacks the confidence in his body right now is, and he, he's, He's thinking too hard as far as just playing freely. Um, and that's where I'm thinking that where DeMont, DeJounte Murray's at right now. But as far as Derek White, I felt like he earned it from last year and plus the way he played this summer. Man, I'm, I love watching him. Derek White's one of my favorite players right now. Love watching him play it over the summer. Love to see the way that he fit in with the national team. He's just like absolutely stocked with NBA talent. Yes. And and he did not look outclassed. That that was that was so so encouraging, right? It got me thinking so optimistic about him. And so now you've got him trying to ease back in with the starters again. He had a rhythm with them towards the end of last season. Obviously they the team played well enough to to push the Nuggets to to seven games in that first round series. And now he's trying to reestablish that kind of rhythm. How difficult is that after you've been with the reserves and then to come back in with that group again? Is that something that can, you can't really flip a switch to make that happen, huh? Well, for Derek White, because he's used to doing either or and he's never really had a problem with it, I think it's an easier adjustment for him than it was for DeJounte Murray. Okay. Um, yeah, Derek White, he, he he's one of those guys, he, you know, he's had a chip on his shoulder for a while. <laughs> so those guys usually work in the NBA. Like they usually make it because they, you know, they, they have that in the back of their mind. Like I'm going to play so hard. I'm going to do the little things. I'm going to die for the balls. I'm going to take charges. I'm going to do the little things that don't always show up in, in the stat line. Um, and if you watch Derek White play, you see that. Like a lot of times he's beating guys to the spot, taking charges, some of the mm. little things like that. He doesn't reach a lot. Like he doesn't get a lot of um, terrible fouls. Like guys are always trying to go for the home run. I got to get this big steal. I mean, you can even look, sometimes I see that with Brian Forbes. Don't mean to jump on him that time, but sometimes I'll see him playing defense where he will reach a lot. Mm. Um, DeJounte Murray does that as well. Hence, you look at some of the, those, you know, those guys had one, I think it was DeJounte Murray had four fouls. Brian Forbes had six and Lonnie Walker had five when you had Derek, Wal- Derek White, who only had two fouls. And it's, it's not because he, he doesn't play aggressive. He just plays smarter defensively. So if he does get a foul called, um, it's one of those ones where he usually has earned it, um, but he's not going to pick up the silly fouls. And that comes with experience. Yeah, it comes with experience. It's, it, White's anticipation is, is almost Danny Green-esque. And, yeah. and his, his ability to know where to be on the court on both sides of the ball is one of the reasons I enjoy watching him play so much because you'll see him, you'll see him sprint – I've talked about this before, but I always get excited whenever some guy starts sprinting to a point on the court where he has the ball or not. And I'm going, now, why is he? Oh, and I see like he sees it before I do. Right. Yes. And and we've got the much better view of the entire court. We see 
all 10 guys at once. So anytime somebody's sprinting and I don't know why, and then it and then suddenly just like breaks into the open and scores or, you know, delivers a pass. That's exciting to me. Watching, watching Derek is all is so often a positive experience in that way. But right now he's, he's playing, he's playing on the court. He's got to keep LaMarcus Aldridge happy. He's got DeMar DeRozan who gets the ball an awful lot. And, and there's so much that, that he defers right now to those other players. Uh, Tell me, tell me about the, about the balance. It's a, it's a, it's a high wire act, right? Deferring versus aggression. Uh, You can't, you can't freeze guys out and, and call your own number too often as a point guard. Uh, what, what do you, what do you see in that? And what was it like for you when, when you were playing? And, and that's the thing. So like my mentor in, in basketball was a guy by the name of Keith, Mr. Jennings. Right. And so I remember he's talked to me all about like, if you know, you can get buckets if you know, you can put up points, make your other players happy mm-hmm. in the beginning of the game whether it's first half. So you say you're playing college basketball, make them happy in the first half, get them going because you know, you're, you're able to get yours when you can. A lot of times what happens is you end up lulling the defense to sleep. So that is an adjustment he has to make, but he's also playing with personnel when it comes to DeMar DeRozan, that doesn't necessarily fit Derek White. Um, And so when you, when you look at somebody like DeMar DeRozan, he requires the ball in his hands, uh, to he doesn't like cut well he doesn't like he doesn't do the little things to get open he wants to dribble and score off of because he's a rhythm scorer yeah um hence he he's not no he's definitely not kobe bryant but kobe bryant has been his favorite player right and and is his favorite player of all time Mm -hmm. uh, in demar Rosen. so in kobe that style of basketball, Kobe was able to succeed in that based on the offense that they ran when they won their championships under Phil Jackson. So DeMar DeRozan, he tries to play like that, and that affects the ability of Derek White being more effective. Like I'm still, in my opinion, I'm I, before the trade deadline, I'm hoping they get, mid, get rid of DeMar DeRozan and start to build some of these young players and let these young players get these minutes so they can grow and develop. Um, you look at what the Warriors are doing right now. A lot of their big time players are sitting on the bench. I mean, or injured right now from Steph Curry to Clay Thompson. But if you look at the experience, guys like Pascal is getting, et cetera. It's like these mm-hmm. guys, they may be losing, but they're getting a lot of NBA court time. And the the Spurs younger players need that. I would love to see DeJounte Murray and Derek White on the court together more just to see how they will develop. See with Lonnie Walker, Derek White, you know, just seeing how those guys will play together. I know, I know um, Brian Forbes gets a lot of minutes. Um, I don't know if he's the long-term shooting guard. Some people may think I'm crazy for saying <laughs> that, but when I, when I watch him play, I think he's more of a six man type. I think he would be better coming as a spark off the bench. It's, once again, that's my opinion. I just feel like you put DeJounte Murray and Derek White in the starting lineup and you get them with, you know, even Alani Walker coming in, playing the three and letting those guys develop. Man, they could be scary down the road. It's my opinion on that one. <laughs> well, that was the one thing about the the Spurs big three, Tim and Tony Manu eventually 
they just knew where each other were going to be. They knew each other's tendencies. And that comes from playing with each other and the time that you spend on the court together. And the, and the issue has been that DeJounte Murray's been on a minutes restriction, which seems like Pop is now saying is is uh, is is over. And so hopefully we'll be able to, to to see some of those some of those lineups that we haven't seen except for a very extremely rare situations so far this season. Uh, I'd love to see DJ and 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 White and and Walker out there, uh, you know, just to see what it looks like, to see what they're capable of doing, to see to see what those lineups around them who you play with them, and then uh, you know, to the, does that have a better effect on the defense? Do they have a hard time scoring? You find out all that kind of stuff to find out what the future of the team looks like. If this is if this is our young core, if these guys can play together, complement each other, make each other better. But then you've got Dejounte Murray out there, who's who's still kind of wet clay. I mean, he's had one season in the NBA. His first season was almost completely in Austin. His second season, he was he was in San Antonio, worked his way into the rotation, started started instead of Tony Parker, and then last season was missed. So yeah, it's his fourth season, but he's really played one. And yeah. just watching his decision making, and this is on both sides of the ball now. I mean, gambles on defense and 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 hangs his teammates out to dry, having to having to uh, come in and 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 fix the fix the play if, if when his gambles don't work, and reaching for steals and gambling on double teams and and yes. not getting the ball, and that's a that's a difficult position. But then you've got the offense as well. Or he'll make a steal. He'll go down and 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 has a difficult time delivering the ball well to advantage in the fast breaks. Or he fumbles it off his hands. Decision making in the half court. It's not like they're they're featuring DJ with the ball in pick and roll situations. That's that's definitely not happening. So, talk to me about decision making. What you're seeing from DJ and and how exactly a a player like that can be brought along to have uh, those those skills uh, it, as a part of their game. It's not something that can be done in a season, right? No, you know, and it's what's interesting, Jr. Is the fact that players have to be honest with the person in the mirror. Mm. Okay, and what I mean by that, okay, so you look at DJ. He played seventy minutes against Houston. He had four fouls in 17 minutes. Okay. <laughs> he was three, what, for eight from the field? 37%. He didn't take a three. He's one for two from the free throw line. Um, and you look at these things, and you got a guy that's a point guard with two assists. So it, his passing, if – if I'm in that situation and I have his skill set or I'm as athletic as him, I'm going and I'm studying film. Who were some of the best passers in the league in the history of the game? Do we look at a John Stockton? Do we look at a Jason Kidd? Do we look at a, a, a Steve Nash? Do we look at a Mark Jackson? I mean, there, there's so many guys in the history of the game. He's not 6'9 like a Magic Johnson. But if he's looking at these guards that are like kind of in his size range, it's like, what did they do to develop into good passers? Passing is a part of ball handling. People miss that thing. They think, oh, let me go work on ball handling. And they only dribble. 
I talk to kids all the time that I'm developing is spend time learning how to pass. I said, think about how valuable each possession is. I don't want to turn the ball over, but I also want to be able to deliver the ball to one of my teammates in their pocket on time. And you only get that by practicing on that. I look at some of DJ's passes and he throws so many errant passes that are uncatchable. And that comes from practicing. So if you don't spend time practicing on that, you're not going to become a good passer. I don't care what you, what you think. You can try all you want. You have to put the time in on that. Defensively, he can go back and talk to guys like Bruce Bowen. Bruce Bowen, mm-hmm. what did you do defensively? How did you irritate guys? How can you work with me on? There's there's so much footage. He can. There's so much resources out there. It's like, but you have to first be honest with the person in the mirror. What are my weaknesses? What am I willing to put the time in to work on? And during the season, you're not going to be able to fix all those things. Pick one or two things and dedicate yourself for the rest of the season working on those things. You have downtime as a player. Even when you're traveling, you can get to the gym early. You can work on those certain things. It's not just about working on shooting. It's not just about doing some dribbling drills in front of fans with two balls or et cetera. It's about what are my weaknesses and turn them into strengths. Man, that is awesome stuff, Leo. I really appreciate you joining me again on Superfluous Poppycock. It's great stuff. Can't wait to next time. But that will do it for this episode of Superfluous Poppycock. Until next time, keep it safe and let it fly.